Nearly a century ago, prohibition led to the rise of Chicago gangs and figures like Al Capone and Bugs Moran. But if you would have ventured south to southern Illinois, you would have heard about the Shelton Gang and another led by Charlie Berger, just as violent as their Chicago counterparts. Berger was at war with the Sheltons, led by brothers Carl and Bernie, as each controlled profitable bootlegging, gambling, and other illegal activities. Shootouts were common, murders were planned and carried out. The Sheltons even rented an airplane, dropping a homemade bomb on Berger's headquarters. The wild era lasted only for a few years, but for decades the exploits have been talked and written about, most famously in the book Bloody Williamson. Years later, the Saturday Evening Post ran a story on the Sheltons with the title, America's Bloodiest Gang. Author Tara McClellan McAndrew has also put together an article on the Prohibition period in Southern Illinois, and she joined me to talk more about it, and we began by talking about why the Chicago gangs have gotten so much more notoriety. I basically talked to former state historian Sam Wheeler about difference in um, publicity. What Sam said was the Capone syndicate in Chicago got more notoriety basically because they were feeding gin and, and liquor to a larger population. They were dealing with larger amounts of money. The Chicago folks got more publicity. In southern Illinois, we're talking about two main rivals, the Burger Gang, the Shelton Gang. Talk about them. Yes, the Sheltons were born in Wayne County and were were raised in a poor family. And according to the paper of one historian I read, the Sheltons, as well as Berger, were both raised in households where uh, violence was a way of life and being tough was considered important to being a man. Um, Berger was actually born in Russia. He was an immigrant here at a young age, and he kind of drifted around. He did all sorts of jobs, low-end jobs, until he finally settled in southern Illinois. And both the Sheltons and Berger eventually found their way into illegal activities and kind of settled on bootlegging, but also branched out into prostitution and gambling. The term lawlessness comes up a lot when we discuss this era. There were police, but they weren't necessarily able to quell this lawlessness that was taking place. That's exactly right. And there are a variety of reasons for that. One is a lot of law enforcement, maybe not a lot, but definitely some law enforcement, some local officials, leaders of the towns in Southern Illinois were on the gangsters' payrolls. So they didn't really have that much incentive to stop either Burgers or the Shelton's activities because they profited from them. Another reason that law enforcement couldn't always best the gangsters in Southern Illinois, it, it literally armed warfare, was because accounts say that the gangsters were better armed. The gangsters even had their own handmade armored vehicles. I saw a picture of one um, that the Chicago History Museum has, and it's just amazing. Think of an old 1920s era car that someone then takes these large sheets of metal 
and literally pounds them over the car, makes a teeny little hole for the driver to be able to see through. And you have a handmade armored car. And in fact, each gang, the rival gangs, the Sheltons, one day, paraded their armored vehicles around a small town square. And then Burger's gang did it the next day in show of powers. So I highly doubt that the law enforcement, local law enforcement, had armored vehicles at that time to try to outmatch the power that the gangsters had. They were simply out, out armed. Without police coming in trying to tamp this down, that led to, I guess, what we would consider more vigilanteism. That led to, to the rise there of the Ku Klux Klan. Can you talk about the KKK's role in Southern Illinois? The KKK had what's called its second wave um, in the 1920s. And it wasn't just in Southern Illinois, it was all across America. And it was rising in prominence again because it was fighting what it considered lawlessness in a lot of areas and immorality that was brought on by the Roaring Twenties. And it rose in Southern Illinois quite a bit. Um, Heron, in fact, had its own Klan newspaper, and a lot of local leaders, even ministers um, and law enforcement, were Klan members. Women were Klan members, too. Um, it was considered a very noble group that was fighting against criminals and immorality, and the KKK decided that bootleggers were absolutely one of their opponents because they promoted lawlessness. They helped the, um, the decline of family life because they provided alcohol, which created alcoholism and family violence, etc. So the KKK decided to fight the bootleggers down in Southern Illinois. And in doing so proved that they were a bit lawless themselves. Um, they lost some public opinion because they were so rough and lawless in their own raids. They engaged in gun battles with the, the um, bootleggers. There were people killed. Um, they would raid people's houses who were suspected of having stills, and they would damage them. They would sometimes beat up the the residents, etc. I interviewed um, Springfield author Taylor Pensnow, who grew up in Southern Illinois and remembers hearing lots of stories. The KKK financed literally an armed force operating under its banner, the KKK banner, and they brought in to head the KKK army a former federal officer named S. Glenn Young. Now, he was a zealous enforcer of prohibition, and he had no hesitation in leading shootouts with the gangsters that terrorized and mesmerized towns in the lower part of the state. For example, once in Heron, Young actually led the KKK on an assault on a hospital in which bootleggers or their allies had taken refuge. Sometimes the KKK would literally occupy a town, putting one of its members in the mayor's chair, another would become the police chief, and they, they would put up guard posts on major highways going in and out of the towns. And you had to get permission to go in or leave the towns by KKK guards. Now, the same thing was true of the gangsters. So the Klan fell out of 
favor to some because of their activities. But frankly, the bootleggers also, once again, it, it appears just outarmed them and were more victorious in battles, literal battles with the clan as well. Sean, you grew up in Heron and you know, you've heard about these stories for all of your life. Um, what did you hear when you were growing up about this era and the Shelton's and the Burgers? It's It really permeates the history of the town. I don't think people talk about it a lot today, just in average gatherings, but uh, but it is something that people do remember. I think as as kids, you grow up thinking nothing ever happened in my hometown, or it's, it's pretty boring here. And you look, and when you read back at what did take place there, you realize a lot did happen there, even though it was well before my time. I love talking about people who grew up down there to hear what they heard. We're talking with the author Tara McClellan McAndrew, and she's written an article about prohibition in southern Illinois. So Tara, really at the root of this was was money, because these gangs controlled a lot of vice that was taking place, including illegal alcohol sales, and they were bringing in quite a bit of money. Absolutely. They were bringing in a ton of money, and um, they were using part of that to pay off local officials to so that they could operate fairly freely. Um, but when you compare the Southern Illinois bootleggers to the Chicago bootleggers and gangs, Capone's groups, the Chicago gangsters were, were dealing with much higher sums of money than the Southern Illinoisans. But the Southern Illinoisans were doing very well. And, um, and I must point out the duality of these guys, both Capone and the Shelton gang and Berger, um, they used some of their largesse, some of their income to help locals. Um, there are stories about Berger paying for their funerals and, and Shelton's paying for funerals of families who couldn't afford it, for helping folks who were destitute, giving them money, bringing them groceries. Now, whether or not they did that as part of a basically plan to try to gain support locally for their operations or not, I think will never be known. But the fact remains, there were many people who saw them really as heroes, kind of Robin Hood figures, because they helped them out. Charlie Berger met his end at the hangman's noose. He was implicated in helping set up the murder of a small-town mayor in southern Illinois. He was hanged in 1928. What I thought is kind of interesting is how the Sheltons, you know, they could have stayed in that area, they could have faded to obscurity, but they sort of had a second life of their own. They sure did. And they went back to what had been their hometown headquarters in East St. Louis. And they operated things from there for a while. Of course, when prohibition ended and booze was legal again, the Shelton's had to find a new gig. So they, they took over illegal gambling in the area. And then Peoria came calling because Peoria was what was known as a wide open town where all sorts of illegal activities proliferated fairly publicly. And they moved to Peoria and took over Vice in Peoria and did pretty well for a short time until a reform mayor was elected. Author Gary Daniel talks about their success in Peoria in his book, A Night of Another Sort, Prohibition Days and Charlie Berger. The take was from slot machines and jukeboxes, from a cut in the nightly hall of casinos in downtown Peoria, and from local officials up and down the state. 
who profited from such activities. Carl, careful to keep the circle complete, doled out a percentage of the profit to other, more powerful officials in Springfield. It was a well-oiled operation, one worthy of the attention of big city gangsters. And thanks to Blanket Fort Radio Theater at SIU Press for the audio version of that book. A, a side note to the burger story that I think is not very well known and is of a special interest to folks in Springfield is that it sounds like Springfield might have been the home of Charlie Burger um, if we hadn't been such a rough town. So, Tara, we're, we're talking almost 100 years since this gang warfare was taking place in southern Illinois. What evidence still exists down there of, of that time? Well, it, great question, because in Benton, there's actually a museum that has been, that was the former jail where Berger spent his last days and was hanged. Um, it is called the Franklin County Historic Jail Museum. And it's kind of an amalgam of the area's history. Um, George Harrison visited his sister who lived there before he became a famous Beatle. They have information about that. They have information about actor John Malkovich who grew up in the area. But you can, back to the Burgers and the Sheldons, you can see the jail cell where Charlie Berger spent his last living days and a reconstruction of the gallows there where he was hanged. That's author Tara McClellan McAndrew. She's written an article on prohibition in Southern Illinois. 